Please remain standing and pray with me. Lord Jesus, in this gospel lesson from Luke chapter 2, we hear how the Holy Spirit came upon uh, Simeon and upon Anna the prophetess so that they could proclaim good news about Messiah. Uh, Lord, I pray that the same thing would happen this morning. Pour out your Holy Spirit on me so that I can proclaim good news about Messiah. And all of us, Lord, pour out your spirit on everyone here so that we might receive that good news and that teaching and that it might be absorbed into our lives and lived out among us in the week to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Very happy to see you all this morning. I'm glad you're not at a retreat house in Hickory. I'm glad you're not at Beckley, West Virginia. You're here with me. And I'm mighty proud about that. No, I'm, I'm hoping all those other folks are having a good time in the Lord wherever they are. Father David is preaching there at that retreat house in Hickory to some of our ladies who went for retreat. And Chris and his folks are up in uh, Beckley, West Virginia with our church plant up there. So you're stuck with me. I hope you can, you can tough it out. Um, I don't know if you know about this, but there, there's an old custom. There's an old custom that your Christmas decorations should be down by February 2nd. Are, are you familiar with this? That I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. This is the, today is the feast of the presentation, and so you've got until today to get those Christmas decorations put away. Uh, I've, got, I've got some that are down. They just haven't been put back in the boxes, and so I'll go home and get that done. But the reason for that custom is that today is the official end of the season that we focus on the events of Jesus' birth. This is the official end of that season. We are still going to be talking about God's self-revelation through Jesus Christ throughout the remainder of the season of Epiphany that we're in right now. But this passage we heard from Luke chapter 2 wraps up the birth narrative about Jesus. And we call this day, February 2nd, every year. It's not Groundhog Day first. It was the Feast of the Presentation first. This is, this is such a rich passage out of Luke's gospel for us this morning. There's so many directions that we could go in to explore uh, the riches of God's word here. But that being the case, since it is so rich, I want us to just narrow it down to one theme, one theme that pervades this passage from Luke chapter 2. And here it is. In this passage, we hear how the Old Testament and the New Testament, in other words, the old covenant God had with Israel and the new covenant God offers to all humanity through Jesus Christ, how the old and the new embrace each other in the very moment when Jesus is presented in the temple. The old and the new covenant come together and embrace each other when Jesus in this moment is presented in the temple. Now, the very first thing we see in this passage is Jesus's relationship with what is called the old covenant or the first covenant. What do I mean by the first covenant? Well, that covenant was the one was was God's special relationship and his promises. So, it's God's special relationship with and promises to his chosen people, Israel. That covenant was given after they escaped from slavery in Egypt. You know, they went through the Red Sea and all that stuff and were wandering in the desert. And this happened about 3,500 years ago, about 3,500 years ago. It happened in space and time. Some people say, well, 
you know, I don't think I had a professor at Carolina when I was an undergraduate, and he, he was a Jewish guy. He, I'd expected better, but he said, I don't think the Exodus ever really happened. You know, there's no documentary evidence, and of course, he didn't talk like that, uh, in, in Egypt about this. Yeah, right. I mean, have you ever looked at those in, uh, in translations of the, inscrip of the inscriptions in Egypt? Have you ever looked at translations about how pharaohs talked about them about themselves? Can't you just see a pharaoh saying, and behold, pharaoh's butt got kicked by Israel's God all the way across the river, and I lost thousands of men in pursuit. No, no pharaoh would ever write anything like that down. They made a point of not doing that. So that covenant was given to Moses and the people of Israel as they wandered in the desert. And the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, encapsulate that relationship and those promises that, and those, the relationship with God and the promises God gave Israel defined Jewish life. So what we hear in Luke chapter 2, what, what is it that we're hearing here about the law? What do we hear about the law of Moses in Luke chapter 2? Well, listen to this again. I want to just read you Luke 2, verses 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Jesus begins his life as the son of a faithful, devout, orthodox, Torah-observing Jewish family. As a matter of fact, this is, this is restated and reiterated by St. Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. Jesus and his family were Torah-observant Jews. So what do we take away from this? And this is, this is the point of this first part of the sermon. What do we take away from this? Here it is. And if you want to write something down, write this down. The law is good. The Torah is good. The old covenant is good, which makes me happy because, you see, that gives us a reason to have most of the Bible in the Bible. You see, we don't need just the New Testament. We need all the Bible. And so that first covenant God made is good. Now, why do I have to make a point of saying that the law is good? Well, there is the attitude among some Christians that the law of Moses was somehow bad, that it, it didn't contain any grace, and that it was only given to show us what terrible people we are. Now, it certainly does illustrate and illuminate my inability to please God based in my own efforts. It certainly does do that. But that's what people, many Christians think that's all the law is good for just to show what a horrible sinner I am. And it, it is good at that. Of course, live, living with somebody in your house, it helps you see they're a horrible sinner too. So I guess you, could, you don't even need the law for that. <laughs> just ask Lisa. She can tell you all about it. No, the law as, uh, as it is given 
was for the blessing of Israel. The law was given for the blessing, the peace, the shalom of Israel, and through Israel to be a blessing to the whole world. So here's what the Bible says. Here's what St. Paul says. Now think about this. This is Paul. It's in Romans chapter 7. What does he talk about all in Romans? Oh, some of us think it's just a big, long theological discourse about grace, and it is. It is. So what does Paul say in this discourse about how we're saved by faith through grace? What does he say about the law? Paul says, oh, that law is so bad. It's so horrible. No, that's not what he says. In Romans chapter 7, verse 12, Paul writes, so the law is holy. So it's holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law of God is holy and righteous and good. It's not bad. As a matter of fact, the other people who show up in this narrative, Simeon and Anna, are there precisely because of that covenant. They love and desire to live in that framework of relationship and promise that God gave the Jews at Mount Sinai. And by the way, just as an aside, I, I, I wonder, you know, I'll preach a sermon about this sometime, but it does bless my heart that, that Simeon and Anna are old people, because I are one. God uses old people. We never retire from doing God's service. Where were they? They're in the temple. Isn't that great? It's great for me. I mean, you know, there's no age discrimination in the kingdom of God. So I rejoice in that. But listen to what Luke says about Simeon, this old covenant believer. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now let's hear, he's been living under the old covenant. Let's hear about him. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel so if you're under that old covenant, you are waiting for something. It's not complete yet. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. There's blessing and grace in the Spirit of God. You see, Simeon and Anna are representatives of the old covenant at its best. Pious and spirit-filled. And again, listen to what it says about Anna. And coming up at that very hour, this is verse 38, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. We have these Old Testament believers. One of the key factors in their lives is they're waiting for something more to be fulfilled. But I love this, that Anna, this old covenant holy woman who has devoted herself to the God of Israel, becomes, listen, in effect, the very first evangelist, telling the good news about Jesus to everyone who is waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Through her, through Anna, here, this is so cool, the law is proclaiming Jesus. Ooh, I love that. I mean, really, that's, it makes a hair stand up on the back of my neck. Through Anna, the law is proclaiming Jesus, and it keeps on doing that. The old covenant is good. That's the point. The law is good. The second thing we see here in this passage show that there is a waiting. There's something missing from the Old Covenant, and it is this. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant wasn't bad. It's just that the New Covenant is infinitely better. The Old Covenant wasn't bad. The New Covenant is merely infinitely better. 
better. The old covenant was pointing towards something more wonderful, and Jesus is the fulfillment and consummation of that covenant. And how can I maintain that statement? Well, because this is what Jesus says about himself. Are you ready? This actually comes from Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish him. Why? Because they're good. I have not come to abolish them, he says, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. And that's why Simeon and Anna were so excited. All that God had promised in the Old Testament had shown up in the temple in the arms of Mary. Everything that God had promised was in the arms of that young Jewish woman. In the new covenant, God would come among his people. We heard that in Malachi's prophecy that Libby read for us this morning, that the Lord would come quickly, suddenly into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you see, he would come suddenly. In the new covenant, God would come among his people and renew Israel and through Israel, even the Gentiles, by, here it is, by transforming their lives from the inside out and not the outside in. See, the law could work from the outside in. And it really didn't have the power to change the heart. But the new covenant would work from the inside out. This is what it says. I'm going to read this a little lengthy passage. It's, it's Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. Thir- Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. This is, what, this is why Anna and Simeon knew to be waiting for something because of what Jeremiah the prophet says here. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Inner transformation. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's the new covenant. And Simeon and Anna recognize that God has returned to his temple, that just as Malachi had said, and it had been fulfilled. And they are saying in, in this passage, this is what we have been waiting for. This is what the Torah and the prophets and the writings have been pointing to this very moment. And when, and when Simeon takes that infant Jesus in his arms and blesses him, listen, Simeon speaks as This is cool. Simeon is speaking as the embodiment of the Old Covenant. It's as if the Old Testament were speaking through Simeon and saying to this child, finally, this is what I, the Old Covenant, have been longing for all these centuries, and here 
he is. Just listen to Simeon's song. This is the old covenant rejoicing in the new covenant. Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now I want to show you in this passage there is a hidden treat that brings all this together. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little treasure that if we don't notice it, we'll go right over it. Because it reveals how Jesus fulfills the old covenant and ushers in the new. So, back to Malachi, the Lord has come to his temple just as Malachi foretold. And he is presented by a poor Jewish family. By the way, we know they're poor because they offer two turtle doves. Uh, that was the offer. It's called the offering of the poor. It's literally called the offering of the poor. And I'll show you why in just a moment. So God comes. How does God return to his temple? As an infant in the arms of his mother. God comes in weakness and in vulnerability and in humility, okay, as the son of a poor family. In other words, God shows up in weakness and humility and vulnerability and that is a foreshadowing of what? It foreshadows the cross. In fact, the cross is woven throughout the birth narrative. We've talked about this on another occasion recently. It's woven throughout the birth narrative of Jesus in Luke's gospel. Jesus would fulfill God's plan of redemption through weakness and humiliation. And it's hinted at right here at the beginning of Luke's story about Jesus. And in case we miss that subtlety, Luke self-consciously reminds us of baby Jesus' ultimate destiny when he records these words of Simeon. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, here, here is what's hidden in plain sight if we just have eyes to see it. We see that cross foreshadowed. But Luke refers to the sacrifice of purification after childbirth. And when he does, he is pointing back to Leviticus 12. Please listen. This is, pulls everything together. Here's what Leviticus 12, beginning at verse 6, says. Luke actually quotes a part of this. And when the days of her, any woman's, purifying are completed, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And she shall offer it before the Lord and make, aton and, and make atonement for her, excuse me, and the priest. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So the law says that it, is to be, it can be two turtle doves, or two pigeons. No lamb is required. Here it is. But Mary did bring a lamb. Mary brought a lamb. She brought the lamb. As a matter of fact, there's another, I can't quote the, I can't give you a chapter and verse. I need to look it up real quick. I don't have time right this minute. Where when you're presenting the firstborn to the Lord, this is in the Torah, that to redeem the Lord back, 
uh, to re redeem that child back from the Lord, you have to pay five temple shekels, five shekels. And uh, because every firstborn belonged to the Lord, That's, that was God's law. And, uh, and again, that's a prefiguring of, of the coming Messiah. And you know what's not mentioned here? No five shekels. Jesus is never bought back. He's never redeemed back from Yahweh. He's given completely, devoted completely to the Lord. He is the lamb. The lamb has been presented in the temple for the offering. He is, yes, the purification of Mary and the whole human race. Jesus is presented as the atonement for humanity and given completely to God. The Lord is the Lamb. Behold, what is it John says, and John the Baptist says in John's gospel, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lord himself is the Lamb. God offers himself for us because as great as the old covenant was, as great as the Torah is, we could never fulfill it. We needed a Savior. For my eyes have seen your salvation. We needed a Savior. Mary brings her little lamb, and because she did, we can be saved from the power of sin and brought into a life-giving new covenant with God where the relationship is even deeper and the promises are even greater. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.